Good morning. What a great time together. If you had mentored someone for your entire life, you'd invested in them deeply, and you knew you were writing what would possibly be your final correspondence with them, you'd shared the gospel with them, you've invested in them, and you have about a third of a page left, about a room for 250 words to speak to them, what would you write? What would be included in your final remarks? What hopes would you try to impress upon them? What would your intentions be in your final words? What administrative tasks would you hope they would listen to? What truths would you hope they would capture and, and aim to pass on, not only to their kids, but to the others in their church family? What would you want them to do, and what would you warn them of? We come this morning to our final sermon in 2 Timothy. I'm just thankful no one said amen when I said that. That's good. That's progress. <laughs> what an incredible letter this has been. But what often happens when we come to a book, we can actually skip over very quickly the, the concluding remarks. And in doing that, we miss an absolute treasure of gold waiting for us to be mined. And so we're going to look at this together, these final few verses in 2 Timothy that Stephen read for us a moment ago. And in these verses, we're going to notice two truths that reveal that you and I are designed to disciple. We are made as Christians. We have been designed by God to make disciples. It's who we are. It's how God has designed us. And in the final concluding remarks, we're going to see incredible insights, two particular insights, and how you and I are designed by God to go about being a disciple-making people. That we are designed to make disciples. And if we find and aim to find our identity in anything else, we will end up coming up empty, malnourished, and how the Lord has designed us to operate. So I'm incredibly excited to walk through this text together. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's just dive in and discuss exactly that. That disciples, first and foremost, are designed to partner together for making disciples. You and I have been designed to partner together for making disciples. This isn't a solo expedition. This is a calling that we have together to be a people bonded together by Christ. We've been saved by one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one King, Jesus Christ. And we've been bought with a price and bought in, brought into a church family, a body that we're called to partner with, to be discipled by, and to make disciples with. There's three particular truths in this text that I want to be able to persuade you of that you can notice right here in front of you, three particular reasons why we are designed to partner together for making disciples. Look down to verse 9 and 11, as we notice first and foremost that together there is accountability if one strays. There is accountability woven into our very fabric of being a disciple-making people. That will protect us and aim to rescue us if one of us strays. 9 through 11, let me read that for us again. He says, do your best to come to me, Paul writing. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at verse 8, which spoke of all those, this crown of righteousness awaits those who long, who love the appearing of Christ, who look forward to the coming of Christ. And it's contrasted now with this individual named Demas. Demas, it says, 
rather than loving and longing the coming of Christ, he loves and he longs for the things of the world. So what he's done by nature of this is he's abandoned his ministry charge and he's abandoned Paul and he's gone back to Thessalonica. And most believe that Thessalonica is possibly Demas' hometown. So like Peter does after Jesus is crucified and he goes back to doing what? Goes back to fishing. I don't think they had a fishing pole like that, but you get the idea. He went back to fishing. Uh, Demas leaves and he goes back to Thessalonica because he loves the things of Thessalonica. We'd assume some kind of fleshly Pleasures would be our assumption. The reality is he is strayed. We don't know if he's completely abandoned the gospel or if he has simply abandoned his gospel outpost as a missionary. But the point is, if he is to be restored, this individual that's mentioned previously in, in Philippians and in, in the book of Philemon as being a faithful ministry worker, Demas, he specifically called him in one instance, he's, he's called as one who is a fellow worker in Philemon 24. But he has now fallen. He has strayed from his missionary calling. And if he's going to be restored, it's going to be because the body of Christ has pursued him, has called him to repentance and restoration. This is your charge, Grace Bible Church. This is our charge as believers, that there are a wealth of, of Demas in our community who have strayed from the faith either articulating an, 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 an attack against Christ now, or they've simply numbed themselves and they've drifted and they're just solos all around us. As a matter of fact, if I was to ask you, I won't do this to you, but if I were to ask you how many of you have gone through a season of your life where you've either verbally given up the gospel or you've at least walked away from the local church, and yet here you are back today, I could ask you to raise your hand. I bet we'd be rather surprised by that number. It's the charge of the church to be reaching out to the Demas all around us. And I want to show you specifically in the text, again, the concluding remarks that we should never fly through, this individual named Mark. The first person in this, in this letter that Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, when you come to me, please come to me before winter because it's going to get cold. We can relate to that. He says, before you come, bring with you John Mark. In two texts, you can, you can write down to remember John Mark's experience. You can look, write down Acts 12.12 12 and Acts 13.13. 13. Super easy to remember. I love it. Right? So easy, I can do it. All right, Acts 12.12, 12, Acts 13.13. 13. In Acts 12.12, 12, Paul is leaving on his missionary journey, on the first missionary journey. And he comes across this guy, John Mark, whose mom is uh, Mary in Jerusalem. And he meets him, and he brings him with him. This, this disciple, he brings him on the mission trip which is a great story, right? A great start. It's possible he's, he's cousins with Barnabas. And so he joins Paul and Barnabas on this mission trip. And then when they get to, to, uh, to Perga in Acts 13, 13, John Mark says, I'm out of here. We don't get the full details, but he abandons his mission charge. He gives up on it. And Paul's like, what in the world? And so when the second missionary trip comes around, he says, oh, there's no way I'm going to bring John Mark. He's useless for ministry. He's, he's not dependable. I can't trust he's going to do the same thing to me again. There's no way we're bringing him. And so what's he do? Paul goes with Silas and Barnabas, takes John Mark, and they separate, and they go their different ways. If we didn't have this concluding remark, the story of John Mark would be a sad story, wouldn't it? A man who was thought to be useful for ministry he hits eject on his calling 
and that's it. But this letter tells us what? What's the first thing after we have Demas? What's Paul tell Timothy? Bring John Mark. Bring Mark. Why? Because he's useful for ministry to me. Can you imagine how John Mark would have been when Timothy went to him and said, hey, look what Paul said about you. Can you imagine how restorative that would be? It's very possible some of you are here this morning and you're at the point of walking away from local church or you're at a point of frustration or hurt in your life and saying, I don't know, what's the point of this anymore? I encourage you, don't leave, plant. Don't cut, dig. This is a calling that the Lord has for us. And every one of us, I know without a doubt, every one of us, has people in our life, family or friends, who are living a Demas lifestyle. They've, they've cut and they've, they've drifted. But I believe the Lord would call us as a people to reach out to, to pursue, to invite. That's the business our Lord is in. It's one of the reasons you and I are doing what? We are designed to make disciples, and we do that together. Because heaven forbid one of us in this room might drift from the faith, or at least drift from our, our calling to be a disciple-making people in the year ahead. And if so, we're coming for you. That's not a threat. It's a promise. It's a promise of the Lord. Our Lord is good to us. Disciples are designed to partner together for making disciples. Together there is accountability if one strays. And secondly, we go on to 12 and 13. There are administrative tasks that can be navigated together rather than apart. We simply can't do them alone. We need the church body, to do certain administrative tasks and ministry. 12 and 13, let me read that, then we'll also read 19 through 21 because it highlights the same, the same fact for us. Verse 12, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and also above all the parchments. And 19 through 21, it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Anesiphorus. We read about him in chapter 1 earlier how he went out of his way to show hospitality uh, and love on Paul while he was imprisoned. Verse 20, Erastus remains at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greetings with you. So do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. There are certain things that we cannot simply do alone. Administrative tasks that all of us are called to embark on. And it would make sense. Is he doesn't send everyone out. He doesn't give everyone the same charge. In the same way, you and I have different ministry charges. God has assigned you a different family than he's assigned me. He's given you a different circle of influence in your life, friends and coworkers and neighbors. The Lord has called us and given us these charges. He chooses to have Luke stay with him in jail, which makes sense. If, if Luke's a physician, so it would make sense that he would certainly have him stay back with them. But all of us, our lives are filled with various administrative charges that we cannot do alone. We're talking about administrative tasks that deal with people and administrative tasks that deal with things. Let's look at some of this list here to, to look at some administrative tasks that deal with people. We have Prisca and Aquila. Prisca and Aquila. You can write down the reference to Acts 18 to read later. Acts 18 is an incredible story. Both Onesiphorus and Prisca and Aquila are great examples in the church of people that show hospitality. Hospitality, the opening up of your lives to be a cheerful giver of your very lives. 
Prisca and Aquila, in this story in Acts 18, this individual who's a preaching machine, Apollos, he comes in, and he hasn't heard the full teachings of Jesus yet. And so he's preaching like wildfire, and Prisca and Aquila, they hear him, and they realize he hasn't heard yet the full teachings. And so what do they do? It says they opened up their home, and they invite in Apollos into their life, and they patiently meet with him, and they teach him the fullness of Scripture. You and I cannot exercise the gift of hospitality on your own. We can't, right? right? There's a joke on that. Treat yourself. Right? Treat yourself. Do this little thing. It's called selfishness, right, to some extent. We can't demonstrate the gift of hospitality one with ourself. As a matter of fact, all the spiritual gifts that the Lord gives the body are meant for encouraging and building up the body. Does that make sense? The administrative task and the gifting that the Lord has given every one of us as followers of Christ is to be given and used in the body of Christ. We're wired to be together, even administratively with people. That's how the Lord has wired us. I know maybe you're an introvert and you cringe at hearing that, but the reality is you will be most satisfied when you are using your giftings, when you're faithfully building up and edifying the body of Christ. That's how you were designed as a follower of Jesus Christ. The Lord has given us all unique tasks. Let me walk through some of these other names here. You see some administrative tasks that he handles with. We have Tychicus. He sends to Ephesus. We know that church is one that he deeply loves, spent several years there. Trophimus. He leaves at Miletus because why? Because he's sick. Logically, that makes sense, doesn't it? If Trophimus is sick, well, he shouldn't be traveling around. But isn't it possible also he's sick because the Lord wants him to be there with that church a little bit longer? Sometimes we have a tendency, I know I do, to look and say, God, my timing is not what your timing is, and I think you need to change your timing. You do that? But sometimes the Lord works through difficulties and heartaches so that we'll be a little more diligent with the people that the Lord surrounded us with in our life before we go on. I'm talking to all you super seniors out there in college. Be faithful where you're planted. Be joyful. I'm not sure if I shared this story, but before my grandmother passed away, she died last May. And in my meetings with her, I would, I would sit down with her and I would ask her various questions. And I asked her, Grandma, what's one question you have? And, and she said, you know what, I wonder why all my friends and family have died, most of them, and I'm still alive. That's a hard question, isn't it? Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we live longer. Sometimes things don't quite boil out in our life the way we think they are so that we will be administratively faithful to the gospel with the people and the locations that he has us. The Lord is good administratively. He is faithful in our lives. Erastus, he, he sends to minister to the troublesome Corinth church. Never underestimate what your word of encouragement can mean in someone's life. The gift of administration of you talking with another brother or sister in Christ and giving them a word of encouragement. Never underestimate what it can mean. So often we hear at the end of the holiday season, boy, it was just crazy madness. Next year I'm going to start buying gifts in October. And does it happen? No. What we want to do tonight while we're having a night of Thanksgiving tonight at 6 o'clock is just to ready our hearts. Just to take an active moment as a church to encourage each other but to also remember the one that we're to be thankful to, the one who's given us this great gift of our salvation in Christ. Ready our hearts together, encourage each other. So if you can make it tonight, kids invited. It's going to be a great time. We'll have uh, child care for our little ones. But it's going to be a great time together as a church family. Never underestimate 
the power of administrative encouragement to the body of Christ, but also there's the administrative task of dealing with various things. Look at verse 13. They said, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all the parchments. Physical needs, like a cloak. In 21, he says that winter is coming, so if you can get here, please get here before it gets too cold, because I want a cloak. So, of course, like all of us, I had no idea what a cloak was. Like, was a cloak a jacket? Turns out this cloak is this warm, warm uh, piece of fabric that has the hole cut out in the middle. So it goes like all around you, kind of like a poncho, this warm thing. And if cycles are truly cyclical, then in 2020, we should be seeing college students wearing cloaks all over the place, right? Axe and jacks, right? Very good. But the reality is there's different needs that all of us have that we can't scratch ourselves. One of the neatest things I was able to be a part of the last time we took the Lord's Supper. We always take the Lord's Supper. We've taken it tonight. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper the last Sunday of every month like we normally do. And uh, last Sunday, our elders had the thought of, hey, let's take this to our homebound members as well. And it was so neat to be able to sit in a room with six or seven of our church members, some college students and some uh, older adults, and to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper together. That's something you can't do on your own, can you? It's this communal aspect of celebration. There's administrative tasks the Lord has wired us together for, that we need to be in community to truly experience. The books and the parchments, different people argue that maybe this is, this is legal works, perhaps this is scripture that he's bringing to him. The point is he can't get it himself. He needs people to bring it to him. See, together there's accountability if one strays and administrative tasks that need to be navigated. But notice thirdly, why the Lord has designed us to be making disciples together. Verse 14 and 15, together there are pitfalls that can be avoided. Together, there are pitfalls that can be avoided. 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith, he did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposes our message. We talked about this individual before, but you can write down 1 Timothy 1.20. I think he's mentioned in that text as well and warned about. The reality is, is Paul's not venting. He has limited words left to use. And because he loves Timothy, he's warning Timothy. Every one of us in this room has ministry knowledge and wisdom. You've gained it. The question is, what will you do with it? Will you hoard it? Or will you entrust it to others? Jeff and, and Greta Simons are going to be sharing next week as our, as our ministry focus. And as missionaries, they try to study and grasp and understand the culture that they're at. They understand the people. They want to know the intricate details. And they want to preach the gospel into those different areas and love people and serve people. Every one of us is called by God's grace and goodness to take that same mindset in our own lives. To take the mindset that says, I want to be the missionary expert in my life. So that if somebody comes along, if a mission team comes along, if I die or I move, that knowledge won't go away. They'll have it. They won't have to re-earn it the hard way. What if this week, husbands, we approach our wives with the mindset that says, I want to study her so well that I'm a missionary expert in how to weave the gospel into her heart. The same said for wives, the same parents for your kids college students, for your campus, for your roommates, for your classes. Become missionary experts. And that can only happen if you're present. It can only happen if you're present. 
So aim to study, aim to grasp and understand the warnings and the dangers and the pitfalls of your life and your ministry so that you, like Paul to Timothy, can entrust on the ministry knowledge and wisdom to others so the gospel of Jesus Christ may be honored in your missionary context. Amen? Amen. Very good. Well, first and foremost, disciples are designed to partner together for making disciples. And secondly, disciples are designed to persevere in the grace and for the glory of God. What a constant theme we've seen in this wonderful little letter. Disciples are designed to persevere in the grace and for the glory of God. Here comes the comfort. The ones who persevere, they will persevere because they are being preserved by the mighty hand of the Lord. We persevere and we praise God for that and we're called to persevere, but we also take comfort because we're being preserved by the hand of the Lord. He will never leave us or forsake us. You will not crawl out of the hand of the mighty God. You are hidden in Christ and Christ hidden in God. Two particular areas here, I could have mentioned more, but I focused on two in particular that you and I will be preserved through. 16 and 17, we will be preserved through loneliness. Preserved through loneliness. 16, look at this. I think this first defense, by the way, is talking about his legal defense before the trial. It says in 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. And we know that the Lord will never leave us and never forsake us. That's exactly what he says in verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. But here's the reality. He was alone, literally alone. And perhaps the most important defense of his life, no Christian legal experts came in to stand by him. No Christians at all came in to stand beside Paul. He was alone. There will be seasons in your life, even as a Christian, where you find yourself either physically or emotionally alone. And our faith, more particularly our God, is capable of preserving us, just as he did Paul. More specifically, the Christian faith, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, he who indwells us, is able to take what would be seeds of bitterness for Paul. Didn't Paul have every right to be embittered? I shared the gospel with you, and in my time of need, you were nowhere to be found. How dare you? Is that what Paul says? He says, here's the truth. I was alone. If you're struggling with loneliness here this morning, part of it is just saying, look, I, let me be honest, I feel lonely. I'm with people, but I feel lonely. But what is our God able to do? He takes a statement that could have brought deep seeds of bitterness and he leads it into a prayer may it not be charged against them. God is in the business of taking the things of the world that say you should be bitter and want bad for them, and it takes it and is able to say, no, 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 no. May it not be charged against them. 
Whatever you're at in life, God is in the business of taking your greatest pains and difficulties and bringing him in to a testimony of his goodness and his grace because we are designed to make disciples. That's who we are. Can the Lord Christ preserve his saints when they feel alone in life? Can the Lord Christ work in the life of a believer when they feel emotionally alone? Can the Lord turn a yearning in a believer to say, where were they to, Lord, forgive them? Yes, he can. And yes, he does. And there's people sitting all around you right now who that's their story. On the front end, where are you? And on the back end, don't hold it against them. That's the beauty of the local church. Don't abandon fellowship with the body. Dig. Don't cut. Dig. Don't cut. Preserve through loneliness. In 1718, this is so good. Preserve for gospel proclamation. In seasons of loneliness and unique suffering that every one of us and hardships, every one of us in this room will feel. Every one of us will ask a question, I believe. Lord, why? Why? We may not get the answer. Spurgeon said, we cannot always trace the hand of God, but we can always trust his heart. And in this text, I can tell you this. I can't tell you why suffering or hurt befalls you individually in the particular measure that it does, but I can tell you this. I do know this, that you have been preserved for gospel proclamation. You've been preserved for gospel proclamation. 17 and 18, let me read it for us. Starting halfway through 17. He says, So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. This is why. He continues on that statement. Here's why I was left alone, and yet the Lord sustained me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely, not safely to Ephesus or safely to Rome. The Lord will bring me safely where? Into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in 22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. The gospel will be fully proclaimed. We say, how did, how did Paul fulfill his gospel charge to take the gospel to all the Gentiles? He did it right here. And you can write down this reference, Acts 23.11. Acts 23.11. Do you remember? Christ tells Paul that he's going to take the gospel to Rome. And he does so through his imprisonment. And he fulfills his charge to preach the gospel to all Gentiles because he stands before the leader of the Gentiles, the Roman authorities, and he tells them of Christ. Through his suffering, the Lord's goodness is fulfilled by proclaiming Christ in the depths of it. How good is that? How good is that? Have you ever heard the phrase paralysis by analysis? The Lord has called us, we know, to proclaim the gospel constantly. But I think we, and I know myself, at times wrestle with paralysis by analysis. You'll take a situation, you'll think it from every angle possible, and then you'll make up the what-if scenarios, and you'll think about those, and you'll think about your counter to the made-up what-ifs. 
And before you know it, the opportunity is gone. Paralysis, you did nothing because you overly analyzed it. When it comes to sharing the gospel with the people in our lives, when it comes to dealing with heartache and being honest with it, proclaiming the gospel through it is God's will for our life. I'm confident that the Lord will never look at his children and say, you know what, I'm really disappointed that you told them about me. I really wish you didn't tell that person about me. Not cool. That's not going to be Jesus. That's not our king. Not our king. When in doubt, share it. Be honest in your sufferings and be honest in your pains and share the gospel through it. Never underestimate how our king is able to take the greatest heartaches and bring them into the greatest testimonies of God's goodness. The final words in verse 22 say what? The Lord be with your spirit. And then here's the southern part. Grace be with y'all. Remember, this is plural. This you is plural in the Greek. Grace be with y'all. This is a letter given to Timothy, but to be preached and used in the church. This is authoritative scripture. Grace be with you all. What a testimony. That the gospel and the grace of God was so flow from our lives that when you poke us, gospel grace comes out. When we're cut with heartache, gospel grace comes out. When we cry, gospel grace comes out. When we celebrate, gospel grace comes out. We are the people of grace. Not individually, y'all. So that when seasons in our life come where it's difficult for you to be able to sing or to say things, you have a body that's able to put their arm around you and help you to sing. Grace be with y'all. I knew I could get a room for a southerners to say that before I... I tried to figure out what was a good spot to be able to conclude our series in 2 Timothy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I believe, is my mark for that. Dietrich suffered, as many of you know, a German theologian and pastor. And he was imprisoned in a Nazi jail cell. Some of his life has various controversies to it. You may not agree entirely with his theology. But Dietrich, in the winter of 1943, see, he wrote several letters. This is after months of persecution, months of interrogation. And his letters that he sent off to family and friends, they've been collected. And they've been published. You can get online, you can buy them free. They're not, you can't buy things free. You can buy it. Uh, they're just all over the place. You can buy it in several different publications. And in one of his letters that he wrote, Christmas of 1943, Christmas of 1943, from a Nazi jail cell, he wrote the very beginning of his prayer. He wrote this morning prayer on Christmas of 1943. As you know, the story goes on, he ends up being executed. But I want to read for you his short little prayer. It sounds a lot like Paul. Maybe it sounds a lot like you. Here it is. Oh God, Early in the morning, I cry to you. Help me to pray and to concentrate my thoughts on you. I cannot do this alone. In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, 
but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. We worship the one even in seasons when you don't understand his ways. He knows the way for you. If you've never become a disciple of Jesus Christ, surrender your life to him today. You fill your connect card out. We want to help walk you with the body. Know the one. Know the one when you don't understand why. Know the one who knows the way for you. He took our place. He rose from the dead. He reigns at the right hand of the Father. He is all-knowing. He will come again in judgment. He will come again to extinguish the evil one. He will come again for his bride. Come to Christ. Fulfill your ministry of making disciples of Jesus Christ. I phrased our next steps as two questions. Two questions. Again, our next steps are used as a resource for you. If you go home to family or friends or just anyone you might be able to talk to, to, this is a way to cement your thoughts. It's not the conclusion, it's the next steps. You can share for reasons of accountability and how the Spirit might be working in your life through His Word. Here's question one. What will I do this week to reach out to the Christians in my life who are neither being discipled nor helping to disciple others within the family of a local Bible teaching church? Put another way, what are you going to do with the Demas in your life? Will you pray for them? Will you pursue them? I want to encourage you to write their name down sometime today and reach out to them. Every one of us, that's going to be a different person or maybe a multitude of persons. And for some of you, maybe you're here today and you're like, wait, I am that person. What will you do? A second question. Is there a hardship in my life that I'm struggling to proclaim the gospel through until the Lord calls me to my heavenly home? My encouragement to you is to be honest with the Lord in that. And one of the sweetest parts of our service and why we structure our service in this way is because there is a ministry that comes of response with singing the word of the Lord. We sing to the Lord with gospel-focused, biblical-honoring lyrics. As you're honest with where your struggle is and your hardship in life, for some of you, hey, you're pretty well healed. And some of you, you're right in the very thick of it. And it's hard for you maybe to, to sing songs like this, to even get the words out. You have a beautiful ministry one to another as you sing to encourage the people before you and behind you to sing to the Lord. He is good. He is worthy of the praise of his people. And when you sing his praises, you encourage the people around you. So I encourage you, sing loud and sing joyfully. For those, as Stephen said, sometimes can barely even lip sing the words. Our king is good. Our king is better. Would you make that your confession, your song with me this morning? Let me pray for us, and then we'll stand and sing in response to the Lord. Lord, you are good, and you are so kind to us. 
We thank you that you have given us a ministry to fulfill. You've called us to be your own, and you've called us to be a disciple-making people. We love you, and we give you glory, and we pray your Spirit will give us abundant fruit. We know that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But Lord, count us among the harvesters. Count us among the workers. We love you, and we give you glory, and we thank you for Jesus, for we believe that he is better. So we sing this song to you right now, and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me and sing?